from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello. Hey, everybody. Here we are. So, Back with you. Yeah, I have something on my mind, which is I was remembering a story of a time when I mistook someone for someone else and had a, an awkward, uh, strange encounter as was a result. Was it I? N- n- you, no. did, you did mistake oh. me. Remember that? No, I mistook someone else for you. Oh, you mistook someone else for... Uh, <laughs> That's gosh. so embarrassing. Okay, it's, let's not go to that story. <laughs> that was but, before we were married, just so everybody knows. So not like she went up and started making out with somebody she wasn't... <laughs> that would never happen. Oh, my goodness. Okay, but I was thinking... Yeah, this is a common human experience. Have, has this ever happened to you? Have you... Have I? Yeah. Oh, of course. Give me an, give me an example. Um, actually, it was kind of recently. It was at my sister Emily's funeral. Oh, dear. In early October. Yeah. In case people didn't know, my sister died after a two-year battle with cancer. And we have every reason to believe she is in union with the Lord. And that is a great source of consolation. But that's not what we're talking about. But at her funeral... Okay. There was somebody at the at the grave site who it was you know we're meet, we're seeing hundreds of people that we yeah. hadn't seen in years. What an experience! It, yeah, it just yeah three hundred people came faces. to this funeral and it was a parade of people from my childhood and yeah. different stages of my life that yeah. I hadn't seen in years. And they've changed. They've changed, and we have a lot of extended relatives, and some of them have married. Uh, and I don't know their spouses all that well. And I thought this was a spouse of a relative of mine uh-huh. that I kind of knew but didn't quite know. I'd yeah. met her once or twice. And I went, <laughs> I went up to her and I was talking to her like she was, hey, yeah, yeah. And I, I was pretending. You were imagining. I was, well, I was not pretending. I was imagining that she was newly married and, and talking. <laughs> and she just kind of went with it. But as I look back on it now, I realized. Oh, no. She was so confused, oh, but she didn't no. want me to feel bad about oh. it. Anyway, it turned out it was just a friend of my brother Nathan's. Oh. oh and I had only awkward. met her once before, too. So that's why I, I was all yes, confused. Yes, it and, got switched. And it's so understandable because you're having so many interactions with uh. people. And, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's hard. What was yours? What was yeah, yours? This was crazy. So when I started nursing school... Um, I went to the Catholic University of America, and at Catholic U is a, a beautiful church called the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. And it's it's not actually part of Catholic U, but our campus kind of wraps around it, so it's there. And at the very beginning, like maybe the, I don't know, third week of school, sometime in there, my friends and I went into the shrine and not into the church part, but kind of beneath the church, there's sort of like a gift shop and a cafeteria and stuff. And so we were walking in that entrance in the underneath of the church. Mm-hmm. And there was a woman walking toward me whom I recognized. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason I recognized her was because she's part of the nursing faculty. Uh-huh. And I, we Uh-oh. probably had had some, you know, like assembly where all the nursing faculty were up on stage. Uh-huh. And, I thought she was a friend of my mother's. I don't think I know the story. You don't know the story? <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, uh. I I saw her and had this feeling of recognition, but it 
triggered all the wrong pathways in my brain to think I'm seeing my mom's friend uh. here at this church, which isn't that impossible because I grew up not that far from there. But Oh my goodness. So I went up to her and said, Hi! And then I gave her a hug. And this was a teacher of yours? It was a professor. She wasn't teaching me that semester. Uh, But I mean, I hugged her so warmly. warmly. And she. She didn't know I was confused, so, you know, she received my hug. Well, oh dear. you know, we didn't have her as a professor until junior year, but she turned out to be one of the hardest professors, like, oh kind of really when did you, tough. When did you realize the... Oh, probably right after, you know, because my roommate said to me, why well, did you hug Dr. St. Dennis? Oh, that's like, funny. That's Dr. St. Dennis? Like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, oh my gosh. But it was like this unfair advantage a little bit that I had in class because she always had this warmth toward me forever. <laughs> but I was this, you know, loving person oh, who hugged her and she would talk to me about things that were important to her. And, oh, it was just so funny because I totally thought it was someone else. This so. is proof that I'm getting old. What? Because I think you did tell me that story, but it was probably like 25 oh, years ago course. that you told we me can, that story. You know, isn't that a joy? We can recycle we can all reci- the stories oh, and oh, they'll what? be fresh hey, and new. That's actually very hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we play that game sometimes, not really a game, but like tell me something I don't know about you. Well, yes. we can just tell you something we think you know, and maybe you won't. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is actually that has been a good thing that over the years how we've gotten to know one another. We'll yeah. just say, tell me something tell me from nineteen eighty one that I don't know about you. Right. It's been fun. Yeah. Well that was something from nineteen ninety. There you go. That's a good one. I know. I know it was pretty hilarious. So you ready for a question yes, from let's a listener? Here we go. Anonymous woman asks. First, she says, thank you both for what you do. This podcast has helped me immensely in my vocation as a wife and mother. We're so glad to hear that. Yes, we're glad to hear that. Yes, thank you, Lord. She goes on, I know on an intellectual level that I was made for motherhood. But in a physical sense, it seems my body has resisted. I have struggled to successfully breastfeed despite great efforts. Mm. I've also had intense postpartum anxiety and depression each time, Mm. where it seems my brain chemistry is stealing my joy in motherhood. It makes me really feel this dichotomy. How can I be made for motherhood when my body and brain seem to resist it so much? Wow. Bless you, dear listener. I can really since this trial that this has been, mm-hmm. I can imagine how difficult it would be just rejoicing in the whole desire to be a mother and then almost feeling betrayed or something by your own body and chemistry because it's so difficult. So I just want to reverence that first before I offer any thoughts. There's such a mystery in what we suffer. Mm-hmm. And I do not understand how to live in this world where there are so many sufferings without the hope and consolation of a God who has borne those sufferings with us and makes them meaningful. I don't want to just jump right into, oh, here's here's something I can say in mm. response. I do have something I, I want to say, but I, I don't want to just jump into it too quickly because suffering is a mystery mm-hmm. and it doesn't do justice to the mystery to try to explain it away or here's why you're suffering or here's a scripture verse that will 
make you feel better. I mean, maybe a scripture verse is exactly what you need, and maybe it would make you feel better, but I, I don't want to offer it cheaply. Mm-hmm. I want to say to this dear listener, your sufferings are real, your sufferings are mysterious, and your sufferings have meaning. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the line from Genesis that after sin comes into the world, one of the consequences of sin coming into the world is great suffering connected with bearing children, especially for the woman. And we spoke about this in a recent episode, it might even have been last week's episode, that when a woman says yes to life, and of course the father along with the mother saying yes to life, that they are entering into a spiritual battle between good and evil, that they're right at the center of that battle between good and evil. There are forces that do not want human life to come into being. There is an enemy of the human race who hates human beings because we're physical creatures that can participate in the inner life of the Trinity. And this enemy is a fallen angel who fell out of envy And what does he envy? He envies our bodily participation in the life-giving love of the Trinity. Every child conceived under the beating heart of a woman, says John Paul II, is a reminder in the spiritual realms of the incarnation that the second person of the Trinity took flesh in the womb of Mary. And the, the force against that the force against that mystery of incarnation, the force against that Christ mystery is the Antichrist. Uh, How do we recognize the Antichrist? St. John speaks of this in his letters. He's the one who is the enemy of the word made flesh. He is the one who is opposed to incarnation. And every child that comes into the world is a reminder in all of the heavenly realms of the incarnation. So there's a battle involved. And when sin came into the world, we accepted in some ways, the human race accepted the paradigm of the enemy. And I think that is why, again, at the risk of sounding like I'm giving some theological answer to explain it all away, I'm not trying to explain it all away. I'm trying to shine a light mm-hmm. on the deep spiritual implications and meanings of our sufferings, especially when those sufferings are connected with childbearing, be darn sure when those sufferings are connected with childbearing that you are at the epicenter of the mystery of the battle between good and evil. If we can read anything out of the stories of Genesis, we can recognize that fertility, human sexuality, the mystery of the two becoming one flesh, the mystery of the call to be fruitful and multiply places us at the center of a battle between life and death, love and all that's opposed to love, good and evil. And it's registered, the battle's registered in our bodies. Think of how Christ overcame evil. The evil was registered in his body, the scourging, the crowning with thorns, the carrying of his cross, the nails through his hands and his feet, the sword thrust into his heart. And Jesus himself at the Last Supper compared what was about to happen to him to the pains that a woman goes through in bearing children. Hmm. This is a great mystery. All that to say to this dear listener, your sufferings 
are not without great significance. They are not without great merit. They are not without great meaning. And, you know, the, the kind of Catholic adage, offer it up, can seem trite and almost dismissive. But when we enter into the depths of what that means to offer it up, what are we saying? That our sufferings can be and are, it's more really in a, a matter of acknowledging what our sufferings already are. What are they? They are Christ's sufferings. Mm. We have a, a priest friend, Monsignor John, who always says, you are Jesus. You are Jesus. And when we have an understanding of the church as the mystical body of Christ, that's exactly true. We're not only Christians, it says in the catechism. I think this is a quote from St. Augustine. Uh, no, you are not only Christians. You are other Christs. Mm. So, your sufferings, dear listener, are Christ's sufferings. To offer them up, to use that Catholic adage, is to recognize your sufferings are Jesus' sufferings, and Jesus' sufferings are redemptive in bringing life to the world. So, in bearing those sufferings in your motherhood, in bearing those sufferings in your body for that child, you're not only bringing that life into the world, but through your baptism, united with Jesus, those sufferings being united with Jesus, you're not just bringing a new human being into the world in the sense of bringing life to the world, but united with Christ, you are bringing supernatural spiritual life, the life of grace. You're injecting it into the world through that yes. That doesn't take away those sufferings, doesn't erase them, doesn't make them any easier, but I, I hope that shines a light in terms of the meaning that faith can enable us to experience in our sufferings. Mm -hmm. And two other things I just sensed. One is that you, when you talk about um, specifically struggles with breastfeeding, anxiety, and depression, all in the kind of obviously newborn and young baby time period of mothering, the possible physical causes of those why would we think that we have all the answers? We don't. We'll be in heaven when we learn the full story of why those things happened. But I know the enemy would want you to conclude that somehow you're flawed, you're less than other women, less than other mothers, in a way that is destructive to mm -hmm. you know the the movement of the Holy Spirit through you as a mother. So I just want to you know call your attention to the real possibility that these things, though we don't understand them necessarily, or even if we do, even if there are explanations that make sense, that um, that this is not as the enemy would want us to think a sign that we're you know inadequate to the task that the Lord has given to us. I think. You know, if you could see with the eyes of the Lord the story of your life, if we all could, we would see how mm. he's bringing good out of all these situations that aren't what we would want them to be. Abundant good, because he that's who he is. I know also for myself, there is a way in which the joy of motherhood kind of became an idol for me. Mm. I just wanted it to be all joy, you know, that, that moving images of pregnancy, birth, 
infants, mothers loving their children were like such a deep desire that it became impossible to meet with reality. You couldn't meet that kind of expectation of fulfillment in motherhood. And I had to really, you know, surrender that to the Lord and realize that, have him show me, I should say, that I was looking for a fulfillment that he didn't want me to receive in the way that I thought that he did, Mm -hmm. you know. He wanted me to turn to him in my weakness and in moments of disappointment or being overwhelmed and needing help that I didn't think I should need because why do I need this help? Does other people don't or whatever those self-critical thoughts are that get in the way and rob our joy. So, I really want to encourage you also with a word that really spoke to my heart that I, I read once, a description of motherhood by a religious sister who didn't have any biological children, but she described motherhood as making space for the development of a human being. So, Mm. if we think about a woman's womb being a space for the development of a human being at that stage of life, we can kind of translate that to all kinds of relationships that involve an honoring of the unique growth of an individual, which in this case we're talking about your children, but it doesn't have to be just your children, that you are creating the safe space for that wonderful development to occur. And you are doing that throughout your children's Mm. lives. And it's a beautiful calling. We were just talking earlier about how maybe my memory's failing and I don't remember stories, but you said something there that struck me. I don't think I've heard you say before. Maybe I have and I've forgotten, but Mm -hmm. you said uh, that you, you realized you were making an idol out of yeah. The joy of motherhood, that it was right. just supposed to be a, a purely joyful experience. Right. And right. certainly, I have plenty of memories of walking with you through struggles in mm-hmm. your being a mom, mm-hmm. uh, which continue because you're still a mom. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, but I, I think I just learned something about you there, love, mm-hmm. that uh, mm-hmm. moved me. That I get that there's these expectations we can put on ourselves Mm -hmm. that are rooted in false ideas that when we have to let go of those idols, it can be very disillusioning Mm -hmm. to the expectations we had. We've certainly been through that in our own marital relationship. Mm -hmm. And that's a a painful thing to go through, but a very healthy thing to go through. Yeah, I felt the Lord's love for me in that recognition that he yeah. he wanted me to let go and make him that much more the source let him be the source of fulfillment and joy in the way that he's meant to be yeah i think that's very helpful thanks for sharing that wendy mm-hmm. bless you dear listener bless all mothers out there all mothers who might be going through something similar bless you bless you bless you yes Here's a question from Andrew, who says, first, thank you for this podcast. He says, I am a medical student, and I will be going into clinics in a few short months. My question for you is, how should I approach conversation with and documentation of transgender patients? 
obviously these people need to be loved and cared for by their doctors in the same way that all patients do. But I suspect that there will be pressure to call them by their preferred pronouns and to refer to them in that way in official documentation of visits. I do not want to cause scandal by affirming a falsehood, but I also do not want to cause them unnecessary suffering in a setting where I may not have time to establish the kind of relationship it takes to unpack confusion. Mm, That's insightful. Yeah. Andrew, I I can tell you've already given this some real thought just by the way you phrased the question. And, oh, my brother, my heart goes out to you. You are in a very, very tight spot here. You're in a very difficult situation. I'm reminded of a story that illustrates the serious problem in the medical community that can result when we don't properly recognize whether I'm treating a male or a female in front Mm -hmm. of me. Mm -hmm. And the story I read maybe six months ago of a woman who came to a hospital, I believe this was in Europe. She was pregnant, but she identified as a man. And she died in the emergency room because of complications from pregnancy that none of the medical staff thought even to consider this was the problem. She identifies as a man, and the the medical staff were not able properly to diagnose her. (laughs) They didn't didn't even, why would it? Why would it dawn Mm -hmm. on you that a man might be having pregnancy complications? Mm -hmm. Uh, But then the hospital got sued because... The medical staff said, we never thought to think that a man could be pregnant, and they were faulted for thinking men can't be pregnant. Mm. This is just one example of the, and I want to I say this obviously with great sensitivity to those who suffer mm-hmm. in terms of not feeling at home in their God-given identity. It is a source of great suffering. I have profound reverence for it. But our solution to this suffering is crazy-making. When we divorce identity from the body, we become a culture of no bodies. This is what happens when you identify some body without reference to his or her body you quite literally identify no body. And this is very dangerous for us. Dear Andrew, you're in a very difficult situation. As you acknowledged, you don't want to add to this person's sufferings because you you may not have time in a given situation to develop the kind of relationship where you could respectfully and gently and with honoring of the person unfold a conversation that would allow for all the sensitivities that are required. You're in a medical situation. You might have to make split decisions, da-da-da-da-da-da, emergency situations. What do you do? I, we are creating situations in our culture, real situations in education, in the medical field, just in relating as human beings in public restrooms, et cetera, et cetera, that make it very, very difficult to know how to behave, to know how to interact, to know how to relate with one another, because we, are, we have pulled the rug out from the very foundation of human identity, 
which is our bodily selves. I don't know, Andrew, if I can say much more. I don't even know how to speak into it because we create these impossible problems. I know that we have talked about perhaps in that situation using that person's preferred pronouns if we can remember to, and it's a hard thing, you know, sometimes when our our minds are dealing with conflicting, you know, information yeah. is probably not in any way wrong to do in the sense of it's maybe necessary in order to have a therapeutic uh, at that time relationship with the person to use the pronouns that that person prefers. So in, in answer to that, you know. I, yeah, I, I tell the story in my uh, good news book and I'd, I'd urge you, Andrew, if you don't already have it, uh, we can put a link in the show notes. The new edition, which came out last year, has a brand new chapter on these gender questions. And I, I tell the story in there about a pastor who had um, a homeless shelter and a man came into the homeless shelter and was dressing as a woman, identifying as a woman, but it was very clear he was a man. And the pastor decided just to meet this person where where the person was. And I think that was appropriate in the case and built a relationship. And over time, and you're acknowledging this yourself, Andrew, over time you could have a relationship with someone to enter into a deeper conversation. And this pastor actually did having welcomed the person where the person was, built a relationship where over time they could have more honest conversations and that was very fruitful in the long run. So it's a tricky situation. We're all being put in very awkward, difficult circumstances because of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is one of many situations that as a doctor, you'll you'll be taking to the Lord in prayer after your encounters and certainly lifting up the needs of people who come to you and you're able to help with some things and some things you're not. As a person of faith, you perceive deeper things about the struggles of your patients' lives that you know, you'll, you'll definitely need to be faithful about giving those things to the Lord regularly. The question about documentation, I think it's probably important to talk with other doctors and just find you know, what is the best way to handle that because certainly you know, Christopher had that story of, you know, a situation where it was not good for that person's health to not have all that information. So, how is that being addressed by the medical community? We are, we're in a, a strange time yeah. right now in that regard. Um, and, yeah, the importance of that information about the physiology of your patients is obviously a reality for you. I'm reminded, Andrew, of something Pope Benedict Sixteenth said in his encyclical God is Love, he's talking about this deep ache in the human heart to be seen. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that our deepest wounds, emotional, psychological, spiritual wounds, come from not being seen. And you have an incredible opportunity in your profession uh, this is an expression of Benedict XVI. He says, to give people the look of love that they crave. Mm. That seeing the person, that gaze into that person's eyes, even if you know full well uh, this is a man who identifies as a woman or vice versa, and 
to give that person the look of love that they crave can change a life. Mm. Uh, you don't have time for long extended conversations, but it doesn't take a long amount of time. Mm-hmm. It can happen in a second mm. to give a look of love mm-hmm. that can change a life. So I hold that out to you. The next question is from an anonymous wife who says, I've seen that my husband relies a lot on sexual intercourse for his emotional well-being, but he's never satisfied. He's been going through very difficult times this past year, mostly because of work-related problems. We also have young children who still wake up at night, and I have a very busy work schedule. We definitely need to work out how and when to take some time for us. But seeing that even when we had more time, I was not enough. How can I help him? Wow. Wow. I could, uh, I could go on for hours and hours. There's <laughs> so, many, so many layers here. Such a human situation. What married couple on the planet cannot relate to what this wife is sharing? So bless you. Bless you, dear wife. Please know you are not alone in your question in your struggle i'm sure there is suffering here Uh, thank you for putting this out into the light i hope wendy and i here can give you at least a little bit of food for thought that will steer you in the right direction first i'm going to tell a story i may have told this story we've done so many podcasts now i don't i I may have told this story (laughs) before if you're one of those listeners who've actually listened to every episode, we, yeah. have, we have fans out there who've listened to every episode it's and kind of catalog our responses. Uh, forgive me if I answered this on episode 18, <laughs> question two. Um, I have no idea if I did ever say this before. But anyway, the story that comes to mind, a student of mine, this was probably 10 years ago, I was talking about how the Bible begins with the marriage, it ends with the marriage, and the purpose of the sacrament of marriage, the marriage that begins the Bible is the marriage of man and woman, the marriage that ends the Bible is the marriage of Christ and the church, and that the purpose of our creation as male and female, the purpose of the two becoming one flesh, the purpose of sexual intimacy as God created it to be, is to be a sacramental sign, a taste here on earth, a little glimmer of the joy and fulfillment that awaits us in heaven, but that no human being can be the fulfillment that awaits us in heaven. The best a marriage can be, the best a marriage can be, is a sacramental foreshadowing of the joy that awaits us in heaven. And the student came up very, very excited to tell me, Christopher, you just put a light on a pain and a question and a struggle in my life that I've had for years. And he went on to say, my father has been married eight times. And when he invited me to the eighth wedding, I finally, the anger in me just exploded. And I said, dad, what is your problem? What is your deal? This is number eight. And my father said to me, He said to me that his father said to him, son, I have just never found a woman who could satisfy me. Mm. And my student was, was excited because now he understood why his father 
couldn't find a woman that would satisfy him because the father was putting an expectation on a human being that to fulfill something only God can fulfill. Mm -hmm. And all of us as fallen human beings are bent in this direction. I know we've shared in previous podcasts our own struggles here, Wendy, Mm -hmm. that part of the marital journey is learning as two bent people to learn how to stand up straight in opening the craving, the yearning for intimacy, for love, for affirmation that we all have to open that up to the Lord. I'm to share an example. Uh, Last night we were lying in bed Mm -hmm. and I just got home from a trip and I wanted more of your attention than I think Mm -hmm. was right to ask for. Mm -hmm. And in the past, you know, 20 years ago, I would have resented it. I would have would have eaten me up inside, and I would have had this little barb in my heart that my wife's not providing me the affirmation, attention I need. Da 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 da. But last night, just lying in bed with all that we've been through, I I could just readily say, Lord, I'm opening this desire to you because I I I need something in my tiredness. I need something in my brokenness. I need something in my exhaustion from this very difficult trip I was just on. I need it, and and my wife is human too. She can't she can't give me everything I need, and it became a an intimacy with the Lord. It became a prayer mm-hmm. that was right and true and beautiful and good. And I was peacefully allow, allowing you just to go off to sleep and not demand something of you that that wouldn't have been right for me to demand of you. So we're 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 prone to this demanding of of a spouse something that. We really should be going to the Lord for. Now, of course, in the gift of the sacrament, the Lord reaches us through one another. Mm-hmm. But we have to be careful not to idolize what we receive from one another. And I, I, would, I would guess, just based on my understanding of what I've been through and human nature, I would guess that this is what is going on in this marriage. And the wife feels that pressure to provide something she can't provide and I'm never enough I can't satisfy him and that can lead to a feeling of real inadequacy when your humanity is not meant to do what he's asking it to do mm-hmm. you have any thoughts here Wendy? yeah I I really can relate to that and you know I think there's something mature about the way the question was asked that this wife said that emotional needs are being met here and of course it's a challenging time in a relationship when little kids and busy work schedules and so many factors yeah. are keeping you from just easily meeting one another's emotional and physical and didn't she needs. also say they are trying to make more time for one another she sees that she, they see, need so to. she sees that they need to that see yeah. that also is a sign of of yeah. her maturity and wanting to look at because yeah. that's that's good and true and right too. Yeah. Yes, to want because we 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 are made for that union, mm-hmm. and we do need to make time for that union to, to make yeah. it a, a part of our lives. Yeah, I think that was the thing I was just sensing too. Is that it is is a painful place to be in when we can't really meet one another's needs and and a need you know that she may be feeling is for affirmation of from her husband, you know that she's pleasing that he understands the burdens that yes. she's carrying yes. right now that he's 
you know, grateful and sees her and all those things might be going unmet on her side. And so those are challenging, stressful times. And They are. Yeah. And times that we pray will be times of growth, you know, times that we learn to turn to the Lord in new ways and that we learn to understand one another better and not given to resentment that you aren't who I want you to be, who I need you to be, but a genuine acceptance and understand deeper understanding, none of which comes perfectly like delivered by Amazon or something. (laughs) (laughs) You don't just tap something on your phone and have it show up at your door, but you get it, you know, in steps and, and grow in that way. And so, yeah, we'll be praying for your, husband and for you and you know I, I affirm the the growth that's already there that is evident in the question and just pray that both you have um, a deeper awareness of one another and ability each of you to bring your needs to the Lord and and to be blessed in the ways that you are able to minister to one another in your marital relationship I'm wanting to affirm both her needs and his needs here and to to say there there is a genuine need she has there is a genuine need he has mm-hmm. and one of the best definitions of prayer i've ever heard it has helped me tremendously again this is benedict the 16th he says the fathers of the church tell us that prayer is nothing other than becoming a longing for God. Prayer is learning to take our genuine needs, those genuine longings for intimacy, for affirmation, for recognition, for approval, for intimacy. Prayer is learning how to open those needs to the one who put those needs there to lead us to him. Mm. Now, now saying that, it doesn't erase that we are meant to be instruments for one another. Mm-hmm. Of, of the Lord's love. Uh, we're meant to be sacraments of the Lord's love in marriage for one another. Signs, sacrament meaning sign, and, and a sign that really communicates. There's no doubt we've experienced this mm-hmm. in 25 years of married life, that, uh, almost 25, that you are a channel of the Lord's love to me, and I am a channel of the yes. Lord's love to you. But we're also broken, and we we are often 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 also a channel of frustration for the <laughs> other. And the transformation that I have seen in my own heart has come from learning how to pray, learning how to become a longing for God, learning how to take the needs, not to squash the needs, not to pretend I don't have the needs. But to stop demanding of you, Wendy, that you be the one to meet them and learning how to open them to the Lord and experience the meeting of those needs Mm -hmm. through intimacy with Jesus and intimacy with Jesus's mother, who is also our mother. Uh, There's the masculine and the feminine there present in a life of deep and intimate prayer. And that has saved me from the bitterness that comes from unmet needs, and then you're just resentful of the other, bitter towards the other, you don't meet my needs. That journey is worth making. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hold that out to you. We commend you for your honest question and your seeking. 
And we desire for you to know that journey of prayer, which itself is fraught with all the kind, you know, if, if we enter into the spousal imagery with the Lord, that there's a spousal intimacy we're called to in a heavenly dimension, then, you know, it's also fitting to, to vent some resentment or whatever bitterness you're dealing with towards God, because that, that becomes a real relationship. Lord, why aren't you coming through here? Why, mm-hmm. why this? Why that? And I remember thinking for years that I wasn't supposed to do that, that was somehow disrespectful to the Lord, and there certainly could be an approach that would be disrespectful, but that our friend, again, I've spoken of recently in a podcast, Monsignor John, said, when you put that painful why to the Lord— you're in union with Jesus because Jesus put his most painful why to God on mm-hmm. the cross. Why, why, why have you abandoned me? That was a prayer. That was a prayer. We're in deep intimacy with Jesus when we open what's really on our hearts to God. Whatever is on our hearts, open it to God. That becomes prayer. Mm-hmm. Well, we are drawing to a close of another episode. We hope and we pray that what we've shared from our hearts has reached into your heart and blessed you. We hope and we pray that it's drawn you closer to the Lord, opened your eyes. We're so grateful to you guys for being part of this podcast. We're so grateful that when we're sitting here in my office speaking into these microphones that we're not talking to nobody, (laughs) we have (laughs) listeners out there who... Who appreciate what we're doing. We're so happy to do this. We need your help. We want this podcast to reach as many people as possible. You know that little share button on your phone or on your screen, whatever you're listening to us on. You know somebody, I bet, who needs to hear what you just heard listening to this podcast. Would you push that share button and get this podcast out to somebody who needs to hear it? And also, if you're inspired by what we're doing, if you're blessed by it, Would you consider becoming a patron of the Theology of the Body Institute? We have a global mission. We want to get the the teaching of St. John Paul II out to as many people as possible. And we need your support to do that. And in exchange for your ongoing support, we want to be a support to you with ongoing formation in the Theology of the Body. We have lots of goodies for our patrons. So Mm -hmm. click in the uh, show notes there. You'll see the, the link for the patron page to become a supporter. We would be so grateful. Until next time, remember you are an unrepeatable gift of life and love. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope the information presented is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted counselors and psychologists in the show notes.